So last week I talked about hell, uh, and and then <laughs> I mean it just feels like just wrath, wrath. So when one of you comes up to me, it's like, oh my goodness, this is so great. I'm like, awesome. I'm glad God's working. Clearly, God is working. Um, and so we're in this section of Scripture, you guys. So if you're new, I want to just tell you, I don't, I don't want you to be confused. Like, uh, this is very tough. Uh, these are the sections of the book of Revelation that, that most of us have avoided or were told to avoid uh, because there's just this, this wrath that is unavoidable. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to reconcile wrath with a perfect and holy and loving God. Uh, and, and, and even in our culture today, we're just like, there's no way that that's God. And so uh, it causes us, you know, when we don't understand something, what do we typically do? We just disregard it. Uh, and, and for some of us, that's how we read our Bibles. And I would just, man, guard against that. Because what you do is you end up building uh, a Bible that's centered around all the things you want to believe. And you don't get a full picture of who God is. And we're here because we want to know God. Okay, and, and sometimes it's easy to understand and sometimes there's things with God that you go, man, I'm never gonna understand this until I'm, I'm, I'm seeing him face to face, okay? Um, but we are walking through this and uh, the writer, John, uh, who has been exiled to this island, uh, the island of Patmos, he's there and he, and he gets these incredible visions of the glorified Christ and then this picture of, of heaven, this picture of what is to come. And so he's writing this letter to these, to these churches and these Jesus followers and it was, it was uh, applicable for them today and they're clinging to these words and then it's applicable for us as well because throughout the book, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, we should all be asking and, and, and searching and going, man, how does this connect with what we're seeing today, um, what we're dealing with? And, and ultimately, we can see, man, God's at work. God's at work, even though it seems to be so negative and so difficult, okay? Uh, and, and we've been walking through just these different judgments. And so we're going to continue in that in Revelation chapter 15. We're going to look at uh, chapters 15 and 16 today. But in Revelation chapter 15, let's start with verse one. It says this, then I saw, and this is John, once again, he's, he's painting us this picture of what he sees and he's gonna use Old Testament language. It's the language he knows to help us understand what he's seeing. It says, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed." After this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with these seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues, the seven angels were finished. Okay, so once again, difficult. 
right? Difficult text, difficult things to understand and to see. But what does John say? John says, I'm, I'm seeing this new thing. I'm seeing another sign in heaven and it's great and amazing. He says, I, I, I see the seven angels and, and, and with them is the last seven plagues, these last seven judgments that will complete God's wrath. In other words, history is at its end. The judgment patterns that we've been seeing and walking through and, and looking at from different angles. It's now going to uh, climax in the tribulation. These are the last of them. All that will remain after this is judgment itself. But before these judgments fall in, in chapter 16, what, what he describes to us uh, is, is, is he sees all of the redeemed, all the redeemed people, and, and, and they appear and they're beside this sea of glass mixed with fire. And it says they're, they're there to sing and they sing this victory song. Now, who are these people? These are the people, and it's described, they're the ones that have conquered the beast, all right? And when it says conquered the beast, these are the ones uh, that have not followed the beast, right? The Antichrist. They haven't followed him. They haven't taken the mark of the beast. These are the ones that have held true to the word of God, to their testimony, to the will and the ways of God, even um, in the midst of intense opposition, persecution, costing them their family, their lives, uh, money, all, all of those things on the table. And yet they're the ones that remained true and it cost them everything. And they're the ones that are there. And, 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 and he describes this scene uh, where, where they're there uh, next to the sea of glass and, and they're singing and, and they're singing the song of Moses and the lamb. Now, now, why does this sound familiar? Well, you know, for, for most of us, in fact, maybe all of us are familiar with the story of the Exodus, where the nation of Israel was rescued out of slavery and taken uh, uh, essentially into the wilderness and, and, and the plagues. And we're gonna look at the plagues and the correlation there in a minute. But what we see here is, is, is this imagery uh, that looks back. And, and, and what happened after the Israelites, after they're celebrating their freedom and they're marching out of Egypt, right? Heads held high. Yeah, that just happened, right? And they're walking out and, and, they're, and they're leaving. And then all of a sudden Moses uh, leads them, right? I mean, God leads them to this Red Sea, okay? An obstacle, right? Like none of them went, oh, this is great. Look at the Red Sea. No, they go, why have you led us here? And on top of it, what do they see? They see Pharaoh's army coming at them. And so they're there and, 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 and they don't go, oh God, what a great opportunity for you to just show us how powerful you are. I mean, it wasn't enough, the plagues and everything else, but now God, you're really gonna do something great. Like, no, they're complaining, aren't they? Have you led us here to be slaughtered? Like, what's going on here? And then we see God do what only God can do, right? He parts the Red Sea. And the nation of Israel walks across on dry ground. They get to the other side. Pharaoh and his armies, they're like, Let's go. We're going the same way. They chase after him. And after that last Israelite steps foot on the other side of the Red Sea on dry ground, God causes the waters to just collapse, destroying that army, destroying the opposition to his people. And, 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 and in Exodus 15, we see that they're on the other side and they just literally, they watch and they're soaking in what just happened. And they just start singing 
the song of Moses, this victory song. And it is a beautiful saying. And it talks about in light of, 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 of them seeing the power of God on their behalf, that, that not only are they just in fear, this reverential awe of who God is, but we see they, they, they just worship him because, because they're seeing how powerful he is and, and, and how he's uh, taking care of them. And so they're praising him in the midst of God essentially delivering this wrath on these Egyptians. And so we see these uh, believers who, who have held true, they've held strong for their faith. They're up there, uh, you know, and, and, and there's this image of them and they're celebrating what God has done, the victory that has been won on their uh, behalf. And I, and I love the words that they, they sing. They sing the God uh, whose praise is great and amazing in his deeds, his ways and righteous acts. He is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the King of nations. He's a God we should fear and glorify because he alone is holy. And then it says, all the nations will come and they will worship before him. And it ends with, his righteous acts have been revealed. I love that. His righteous acts have been revealed. You guys, why... Why has God allowed his righteous acts to be revealed? Why were they not done in secret? So that we would see and so that we would what? Believe, right? Like, like these things that we're looking at, these, it's not done in, in secret. God hasn't hidden who he is. In fact, we looked last week in Romans how, how creation itself points to a creator, how God continues to make himself known and, and, and his righteous acts are revealed. Uh, you guys, it's, it's crazy. Sometimes I talk to people and I swear that their, their philosophy, their theology towards God is he's trying to trick people into going to hell. And I'm like, what? Oh yeah, or he would make himself known or he'd make it clear. And I'm like, you are missing it. And you think God's like that? And it just blows me away. And you guys, if, if you're like, man, how is, he, how is he revealed who he is? You guys, you know, one of the most powerful ways that he's revealed who he is is through your life. It's the miracle that he's done in your life. And, and, and so a lot of the ways that people are gonna experience the power and the love and the nature of God is gonna be through an interaction with you and the change that's uh, taken place uh, in your life. And, and so we go into this and we see this, this incredible scene of worship and how powerful it is. And you guys, I'm just reminded how the worship in my life so often uh, becomes compartmentalized. In other words, it's almost like my worship is scheduled, right? It's, it's, it's like, okay, church is coming. So we're gonna sing a couple songs up front. We're gonna sing some songs at the end and we're gonna worship in that time. And it's gonna be awesome. And so you've got it like scheduled. So if someone says, oh, do you worship the Lord? You're like, oh yeah, of course. On the front end and the back end. And then some of us who are like super spiritual, we have the worship music going on in our car, right? And we're like, oh, I worship in the car too. Yeah, I do. Like every time my car turns on, worship. Some of us is going on in the house, right? But we, but we honestly have it to where there are these expectations 
that now is when I worship. And, and, and it's not just these scheduled times. Worship also oftentimes is, is something that we, we will only do when things are working in our favor. In other words, when the requests I'm asking, when I feel like they're being answered, when my hopes for life, uh, those are working out, uh, when things are, are happening in a way that, 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 that I go, that's good, it's so easy for me to then go, okay, now I'm gonna worship. You guys, what's so remarkable in the book of Revelation is how we just go into this section of just wrath, right? And you're just like, wrath, wrath, stacked, 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 worse. And then all of a sudden, and we miss it because we're so overwhelmed with the wrath and the imagery, we miss all of these powerful moments of worship. And they're in here. They're all throughout Revelation. And, and what I love about this is, is literally, it's like, how in the world do I, do I worship you, God, in the midst of wrath? Like how in the midst of all of this, like just delivered judgment, do I sit here and go, God, you're so great. I wanna sing to you. And, and ultimately, you guys, I, I think that there are two really clear ways that, that I can think of, and there's more, but there's two very clear in how we can just worship God even when we think of wrath. And the first is this. In wrath, how can we worship in wrath? We can even worship in wrath because it's through wrath that we clearly see his righteousness and his holiness. You guys, in wrath, we see God is saying, this is not okay. This does not align with a perfect and holy God. Okay, this isn't right. This isn't okay. This doesn't align with my character and nature. And so while he's delivering wrath, you guys, we're seeing him deal with things that are in opposition to who he is. And in that way, we can all go, praise God. Praise God. The other way we can praise him is in wrath. What we see, you guys, when we see the wrath of God poured out, is we see and, and maybe like no other way, we see his mercy towards us. Guys, when, when I read wrath here uh, throughout Revelation, I, I don't respond by going, boom, they got what they deserved. Whoo, oh, you're bringing more. It's gonna get worse. Oh, you go, God. Like, I mean, I think I would be sick and twisted if that's how I was reading this. When I read this and I see that, you guys, I am absolutely overwhelmed, almost to my knees, with the reality of the mercy that God has given me. What is mercy? Mercy is not giving me what I deserve. And you guys, short of the Holy Spirit doing a, a miraculous work in my life, I am right there with them. And so when I read this, you guys, and, and, and how in the world can you worship God in this? You can worship God by seeing that, that he has blessed you with an opportunity to receive his mercy, which is him withholding what you and I deserve, which is all of this. And so we can sing even in that. 
But we see here that, that John, once again, he's, he's describing what he's seen and, and, and he sees something else. He says, this time it's, it's the heavenly sanctuary. And he's brought into the heavenly sanctuary, the, the tabernacle of testimony. And, and from there he says, he sees seven angels with these seven plagues and they emerge out of the scene. And, and one of the living creatures gives them seven bulls full of the wrath of God. And, and, and immediately the sanctuary was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. And so great was this display of glory and power. It says that no one could enter into the sanctuary until the judgment was finished. Okay, now, now once again, we're brought back to the Old Testament, aren't we? We're brought back to Old Testament uh, um, imagery. Like we see uh, after Israel placed the Ark of the Covenant Covenant. In the tabernacle, in Exodus chapter 40, 34 through 40, 35, look what happens. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We see the same thing happen uh, in Solomon's temple where the glory of the Lord fills it and, and people can't come in. They can't even get in there. And we're just, we're brought into this incredible scene of like the glory of God and how big and large and amazing that uh, really is. And, and, and so John has described it for us. And then as these angels have gone forth, he then describes the wrath that is being delivered. In chapter 16, verse one, it says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the seven wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel uh, poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bull into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who uh, was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. Okay, so John hears this loud voice, which we believe is the voice of God, and he's commanding the angels to go and to pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. And we see in these last bowl judgments, uh, we see the similarities to the other judgments, but we also see um, a lot uh, of, of similarity with the Exodus plagues, don't we? Uh, from Exodus chapter seven through chapter 12. But what's unique here is we see the intensity picking up. We see the intensity of judgments. Like, like man, when we were going through uh, the other uh, judgments, the trumpets and, and, and the seals, uh, it's, it's like, oh my goodness, this is getting worse and worse. And then we get here and we're like, oh, it can actually get worse and it is getting worse. And, and so we see the intensity pick up. We also see the reach, right? This isn't like a localized thing. We see a global level, a global scale of the judgment of God. And so this first angel pours out his bowl and, and harmful and painful sores appear only on those who follow and worship the beast. Now, if you're familiar with the plagues in Egypt, this was the sixth plague, right? 
where, where boils and, and these sores were on the Egyptians. And also uh, remember, it was only on the Egyptians. It wasn't on the Israelites. So even in these judgments uh, in the Old Testament, God was saying, I am different. My ways are different. My ways are higher. I am holy. I am above your gods. Okay, and, and, and so he's, he's defining that and he's saying, clearly you're wrong here. And we get here and, and who, gets, who gets these sores? It's, it's the people that are in opposition to God. It's not the Jesus followers here. Okay, and, and so once again, we're brought into this imagery and, and these, I mean, they're, they're dealing with it. They are not happy. We see then the second angel pours out his bowl and the seas, the oceans become like the blood, it says, of a corpse. And we're brought into the first plague in Exodus chapter seven, where Moses touches the water and the Nile turns into blood. We also see here the similarities to the second trumpet in chapter eight of Revelation. But we see every living thing dies in the oceans of the earth. Guys, the oceans cover 70% of the surface of the earth. This is a big the imagery here, the description, and, 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 and also just trade and, and the economics behind all of this, as they're listening and hearing this, it's, in, it's, it's crazy to think the ramifications uh, of all of this. And, and then we see suddenly the angel in charge of the waters, uh, it says, declares the eternal God is just in bringing these judgments because he is the Holy One. In other words, uh, what God is doing here is just. God cannot do anything that is not just. Do you understand that? Like, like God cannot deny who he is, right? It's like when someone tells me, uh, and, and this happens quite a bit, God told me to do that, and, and, they say, and, and I'm like, well, what did God tell you to do? And they, uh, he told me to steal that. Oh, he did. Um, and, and, and listen, God can speak to us. Don't get me wrong, but God will never tell you to do something that contradicts who he is, okay? Like God's not gonna, <laughs> you know, God's not gonna say, hey, you should lie right there. He, he won't do that. That denies who he is. He will never um, deny his words in scripture to you. You will never be led in a way that is in opposition to who he is. And so that's a very clear thing. So whenever you're, you're like, man, God, I feel like you're leading me in this, you should always hold it to scripture. Always. Because he'll never deny who he is. Okay? And, and so we see that God is just all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see them alluding to the justness of God. In fact, Abraham, as he's pleading with God to save Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he says, God, he reminds God in Genesis chapter 18. He, he says, God, remember, you're a just God. And God's like, let me teach you a little lesson about justice. Okay? God is just. Now, now man, we, we look at this, we go, well, how is, he, how is he just in this? You guys, um, I shared this last week. There is nobody that is gonna stand before God and go, that wasn't fair. There's nobody that's gonna stand before God and, and, and we think of heaven and hell, two very real places, and we unpacked hell last week and, and we think of somebody going there. There's, no, there's gonna be nobody that's going there that's gonna be like, this isn't fair. 
He is a just God. So everybody is gonna know uh, where they stood before God. They're gonna know the decisions they've made. And, 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 and so we can rest and cling to the fact that he's always gonna be fair. He's always gonna be just. He's always gonna be true. The thing that gets in the way is our view of fairness, amen? Every single one of us has a view of fairness. Uh, and to be honest, all of our views of fairness are like tarnished because of our flesh, right? And depending on where you grew up, and, and, and so what we see here is this angel acknowledging and even worshiping God out of his justness. These are people that have actively sought to kill Jesus' followers. These are people that have actively sought uh, to persecute and to destroy the work of God, right? In, in spite of God saying, don't do that. And so the angel is saying, this is just, this is righteous. This is God delivering what they've asked for. And then it keeps going in verse eight. It says, the fourth angel poured out his bull on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bull on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the almighty. And then in verse 15, this is in red. This is Jesus talking. It says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assemble together at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So, so we get this crazy imagery again and these judgments, and we're stuck going, man, the literal, the symbolic nature of these, man, how do we reconcile this? But we see the fourth angel pours out his bowl, it says, on the sun, and the people are scorched, it says, with fire by this intense heat, and the specifics of exactly what will happen, they're not revealed to us, but what we see is a very clear uh, response from humanity, right? They cursed God. They didn't repent or give him glory. And, and, and what's, what's, so interesting here, when you think about this, you guys, is they know full well where these plagues are coming from. They know full well from where they're coming from. They know why they're coming, and yet they refuse to repent. Not only do they refuse to repent, but they condemn God. They're crying out. They're cursing at God, I want you to just imagine that. So, so, so God, who's already like announced it, like proclaimed it, uh, pleaded with them to turn, to fear the Lord, to, to, to come back, uh, to change course in their life, like, like pleading with them to, to, to welcome him into their life, to, to receive salvation. And, and, and then he's displaying his power, like just like he did with the Egyptians. And he's like, listen, I, I am all powerful. Uh, like the Antichrist, uh, the the 
false prophet, Satan himself, they are all counterfeit uh, and they, they have no uh, inkling of the power that I have. They have nothing to compare. And so he's delivering this judgment, this wrath as we read it. And, and we sit there and we go, you guys, what are you doing? You know it's coming from him. And you know why he's bringing it. He's bringing it so that you'll repent. And what do we see is the opposite response. They refuse. You guys, when you read this, I, you know, I think we've done it a disservice because usually when we read this, we're like trying to like, just like push the, the wrath, the wrath, the wrath, right? And we're trying to like scare people. Like some of us have, literally, I wanna scare you. And, and what I see all throughout this is a God who is so patient and long-suffering, right? Why, why didn't he just do this and it be done, right? Because even in his wrath and his judgment, he's providing a way back to him, an opportunity. Multiple opportunities given for these people to repent, and yet repeatedly they refuse to give him glory. And then we see the fifth bull judgment, and we see this darkness, which reminds us of that ninth uh, Egyptian plague where darkness was all across the land of Egypt, except where the Israelites were. And we see that this darkness, it describes it as, as starting locally, but then it extends worldwide. Like it starts at the throne, it says of the beast, the Antichrist and his kingdom. And then, and then it continues and takes everything into darkness. And, and we, don't, we don't know precisely in what way this happens. It could be speaking of economic darkness, uh, could be physical darkness, political, spiritual, or it could be all of these. But whatever case, this is going to be a universal thing. And what we, what we do know is people's response, once again, it says, they nod their tongues because of their pain uh, from the sores and everything else. And they're mad and they blaspheme God and they choose not to repent. Again. Now, what's different here? You guys, this is the final time we're told that humanity wouldn't repent. I just want to pause for a minute. This is the last time that we're told humanity wouldn't repent. Some of us are acting like I can put this decision just on hold. Some of us are acting like I'll figure it out when it's clear my life's about to end. Then I'll think about it. Then I'll consider it then I'll prioritize this for my family. Guys, we're not promised tomorrow, are we? We're not. In fact, we're gonna see what Jesus says here in a minute as he's warning them, but, but I, I just think that sometimes we, we, we treat grace in a cheap way. And we just act like, oh, it's his job to just keep throwing it out there for me. But what do we see here? This is it. This is it. They wouldn't repent. This is the last time. And what I see here, which is just, it's heartbreaking. It's, we see the truth that neither the long-suffering mercy of God nor his judgment could get them to respond. 
Neither one of these things could change their heart. You guys, uh, it just blows my mind. Like, 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 and I, and I read this and I go, what more does God have to do? He has been so merciful with these people, right? Over and over and over and over again. You guys, the book of Revelation, we, we see over and over again from the first part of it where it's written to these churches and it's like, hey, you need to course correct. Stop doing that. Regain your first love, right? Over and over again, he's giving mercy. He's even warning them, if you don't do this, I'm gonna remove your lampstand. Over and over again, as we keep going into the uncomfortable parts of Revelation, warning them, please turn, please come back, please receive me. Uh, over and over again in your lives today, God is pleading with you. He's reminding you of his mercy towards you. And yet some of us, we still just like, whatever. And so, and so that didn't work, uh, which is crazy because some of us are just like, oh, if he just did this, then I would believe. But then he's like, all right, I'm gonna show you my power. And some of us literally go, if he just showed and demonstrated his power, I would totally believe just like that. And I'll say, no, you wouldn't. Because here we go. Like he shows his, his, his all, I mean, there is no power greater than what he's displaying, right? And he's, and he's showcasing his power and, and his wrath. And, and we're like, okay, they didn't get the mercy thing. They will surely get it now. But no. And so once again, we're confronted with this God who loves us so much that even in this book of Revelation that we avoid, that we hate, that we're just scared of, he is like literally saying, here I am. What more do I have to do? And you guys, as you, as you sit there and you think about it, man, it, it just shows us the level of idolatry in our lives, doesn't it? I mean, what more could God do short of forcing everybody into heaven? right? Which all of you would say, well, then they're not, there's not like real love there, right? Because that's force. I mean, if I had flown to Ohio, which is where my wife's from, and showed up at the airport and said, you're going to marry me. One, she doesn't roll like that, game over, okay? That's one, like done, right? But if you were at that wedding and you knew that was our story, you guys wouldn't be there going, oh, what a great story. This is so awesome. Wow, that's true love, guys. No, you would look at me and glare because you would be like, that's not love. You forced, you forced her into that. Short of God doing that, guys, what, what does he have to do? For some of you that are just like, man, whatever, I'm gonna do it. What does he have to do? And I think what, what this reveals in us, you guys, in all of us, is there are idols in our lives that we all have, that we all struggle with, and why, we, why he's making us aware of what's to come is so that we will deal with them. Because if we don't deal with them, the idolatry that's in our culture, that's in our lives, it will absolutely take over so that even if we're confronted with truth, we will refuse to receive it because I want my idolatry. I want, I want to live... What, what I believe is gonna make me happy. I wanna have what, what is gonna make me happy. And, and, and I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna think that way because I disagree with it, right? And, and, and ultimately, you guys, what's so scary is for some of us, and this has happened. Some of us, like we've scared ourselves to see how far we can go down this road. For, for some of us, we have been involved in something. It was wrong. We knew it was wrong. We continued to do it. And during that season of our lives, people called us out on it and they were honest and they were speaking the truth. And what did you do? No, 
I'm not gonna receive that. I'm not gonna believe that. I'm not, no, I don't want that. And so we can even be confronted with the truth and, and be so consumed or caught up in this addiction of idolatry to where we will refuse uh, to even acknowledge that that is truth and we will decide to do what we wanna do. And that's what the people are doing. Um, I was, I've been studying the brain a lot. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I've, I've, I found that I'm a weird individual and I wanna understand why I'm weird. So I've been reading a lot about the brain and, and, and the studies that, that have been coming out and, and all of those things. And, and it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. In fact, if you study your brain, you will be more amazed of who God is. You'll be blown away. And, uh, and, and anyway, this doctor was on there and, 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 they're, and they're coming out with all these studies on, on how things are impacting the brain. We talked a lot about in culture about how this impacts this or this, but, but specifically the brain. And one of the things he was talking about, and he was presenting on multiple things and it wasn't like, oh, I'm highlighting this, attacking this. No, he's just presenting on multiple things and he gets to the marijuana portion. Yeah, no. Oh, don't go there, Steve. Do you know we're in Oregon? You know where that is? You know how we roll up here, Steve? But yeah, you told me. Um, and he starts walking through what they're seeing with the brain. And I'm watching this, and all of a sudden, this dude is just getting attacked. Attacked. Called all these things, accused of like, you're this or that. And I'm sitting there going, what is going on? And I was like, oh my goodness. This is what's going on. See, when we are so strong-minded into something that we want, and anybody, even if it's true, presents something against it, we're gonna attack it. And you guys, when it comes to a relationship with God, you're gonna receive him in one of two ways. You're gonna be confronted with an amazing God and you're either gonna repent or you're gonna see him as a threat a threat to what you want, a threat to doing the things that you want to do. And you guys, that's how the world is responding here. We're seeing it. We're getting a window in it. And it's very, very sad. And so we need, to, we need to reflect. We need to evaluate what is going on in our life. We see the sixth angel then pours his bull out on the great river Euphrates, it says. And, and this, this river is spoken of all throughout scripture. It was the Eastern boundary for the, the promised land that God had promised the nation of Israel. Uh, and this river is dried up to prepare for the coming of an army, the kings from the East, it says. Uh, and, and, and it doesn't reveal who they are at this time, but, but we see this relationship that, that seems to exist uh, between uh, the sixth trumpet judge, judgment and this, where we see a demonic army coming out of uh, the Euphrates River. And, and, and along with these coming kings, we see three demonic spirits uh, being introduced out of the mouth of the counterfeit trinity, right? So, so out of the mouth of, of Satan, the Antichrist, uh, of the false prophet, we see these spirits going forth. They're described as, as frogs, because frogs were considered unclean. Uh, and, and, and they're, and they're going to manipulate these kings and these leaders through these false miracles. They're going to deceive. And their goal is to assemble these kings for battle on the great day of God, it says, the Almighty. And so they're gathering these people uh, together. And, and these kings... Uh, you know, we're not, we're not sure what they think they're fighting against, probably Israel, the people of God, um, or that. But what we know is that God is bringing them there. 
to deal with the final conflict of God and Satan, good and evil. And so with that at the forefront, then it's like verse 15, it's like Jesus just inserts himself into the text. You see that? In verse 15, it's like all of a sudden it's in red. And, 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 and he says, behold, I'm coming like a thief. So you just read all of that. And then you read like they're being assembled and we're like Armageddon, okay? I didn't need to know the movie. I, I know that that's, that's the end. And he's, he's bringing them together. And so, and, and then Jesus is like, listen up, wake up church. I could come at any point in time. Keep your spiritual clothes on. Like, be alert. If, you're, if, you're, if your relationship with God is starting to wane, if you're, if, if you're, if you're just starting to go into this routine because, because you think, oh, I should just do that, but it's not anymore um, coming from this urgency that we're called to live with. He's like, you need to wake up. You need to get your life right. If you've never received me as your Lord and Savior, man, now is the time. Receive me as your Lord and Savior. If you are someone that said, oh, I prayed this prayer, but, but your uh, relationship with God is very far from what you said you received. Uh, and in fact, it's distant. In fact, it's something that you conveniently put on like a garment and you conveniently take it off. It's something that maybe you put on Sunday. It's my spiritual, it's my Sunday clothes. And then you take them off the rest of the week. And he says, stop. When I come back, one, we're all going to be surprised. And you're either going to stand there and go, oh, I got my spiritual clothes on God. Praise God. You're here. Even so, amen. Let's go. Or you're going to go, oh my because he's gonna reveal what is true and what is not. So we're not fooling anybody. He says, be alert. Everything will be exposed, revealed. That day, verse 16 tells us, will happen at the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now the name Armageddon, it comes from two Hebrew words, Ar-Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. And, and the word Megiddo, it means place of troops or place of slaughter. And it's, it's near the plain of Estrelon uh, and the Valley of Jezreel, which was a famous battlefield where Barak and Gideon uh, fought. And, 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 you know, sometimes we can get so hung up on the geography here, but the geography here isn't the major concern. Wherever this takes place, Armageddon is, is symbolic of the final defeat of all of the forces of evil by the power of God. It is the great conflict, and it is coming to fruition, the final battle where God will be victorious. Did you hear that? God will be victorious, okay? And, 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 then he will take with him all who have placed their faith and trust in him. And then he says in verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe." Okay, so, so we see these similarities. If you've been, if you've been going along in the series with us, you see with each of the seventh uh, judgment, right? From the trumpet to the bull to the seal, you see that each one of them brings history to a close. And so we see that, that, that once again, as the seventh angel pours out his bull into the air, a loud voice comes from the throne of the temple, God saying, it's done, 
it's complete. And we see the same imagery, right? The, the, there's lightning, there's rumblings, there's thunder. And then there's also this incredible earthquake, unprecedented in human history, it describes. It says in verse 19 that the great city fell into three parts. Now, the great city that it's describing here, um, it could be historical Jerusalem from Zechariah uh, chapter 14 or the spiritual Babylon splitting away. And context seems to point to the spiritual Babylon because that's the subject that we're going into of chapter 17 and 18. And the key subject here is that Babylon's gonna fall. The spirit of Babylon, uh, the nature of Babylon is going to fall. And, and as it falls, all the cities of the world are going to fall with her. It talks about she will drink in full measure the cup filled with the wine of the wrath of God. And then we read about these, these cosmic disturbances, don't we? Uh, and it reminds us of Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. And it brings us back to the seals. Remember what it said. It said, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And we see once again that same imagery uh, as God's wrath here is just being displayed um, across all of the world. And, and then it climaxes with these hailstones of 100 pounds, it describes. Now it's hailed a few times. Sounds like it's hailing right now, um, right? But like 100 pounds, like the description there, my brother was visiting uh, Texas a couple weeks ago and he sent me a picture and they were trying to mini golf with their family. And he says, you wouldn't believe it. One minute it starts hailing and he goes, these aren't just like hail. Like it's not like hail we know in Oregon. He sends me a picture. It was the size of a golf ball. And I go, oh my goodness. You know, my immediately thought was, what about the rental car? And he goes, oh no, it's not good. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then he's like, and then a tornado siren went off. It's like, we're just trying to mini golf. I said, so are you moving to Texas? He goes, no. Um, <laughs> I've never seen hail like that, okay? He sent me a picture just to make it so it was real. Um, but we think of just this, this horrific scene, don't we? Just horrific scene. And we're reminded of the seventh plague in Egypt where the same thing happened. We don't know if those were, those were heavy. We don't know if they're 100 pounds, but like uh, we see the same thing. And so the earth is just getting pummeled, whatever is left of it. And still, tragically, we see the people are going to curse God for his righteous judgment. So great is their hatred for God that they continue to curse him with their final dying breath. And so here we are confronted with what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do with this? We just ignore it. When we're confronted with this incredible God who invites us into a relationship with him through the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross, paying the penalty of your sins, rising up from the dead, having victory over sin and death, so that you and I could be reconciled with God. And, and so he, he confronts us with this invitation, this grace. And so I've got to ask, am I going to repent and receive that and turn from the ways that I've been living or am I going to rebel, right? Because ultimately he's either my savior or he's a threat. And I think some of us need to ask that question. When you think of Jesus, is he a savior or is he a threat to you? 
And then I want to close with this thought. You guys, as we talked about the wrath of God, do you understand and realize that Jesus drank the full wrath of God for you and for me? Do you, do you understand that? In fact, we see in Matthew 26, 39, it says, and going a little further, he, Jesus, fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus drank the full cup of the wrath of God. The wrath of God that was supposed to be for me, for you and, 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 and the rest of us. He drank that so that we could have an opportunity to receive salvation. Now, now, was Jesus like, oh, great God, give me the full wrath? No, but he did it because he loves us so much. And then we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see that? So what do we do with this? I pray we worship I pray we receive him as our Lord and Savior. I pray that if we haven't been living with urgency, that we wake up. But either way, that we know how good God really is. Amen.